Saturday Live was presented by the Reverend Richard Coles and Anita Arnand, and the producer was Dilly Barlow. Well, there's something of a mystery next here on Radio 4, and it's centred on two performing bears in the Forest of Dean. Punt PI investigates after news of one of this Thursday's highlights on BBC4 television. Alive with music on the BBC. The sound of horror. The sound of drama. Sound of glory. A season of programmes on TV, radio, and online celebrates the sound of cinema, starting on Thursday night at nine on BBC Four. We'll catch up on the week in Westminster at eleven o'clock here on BBC Radio Four. But now Steve Punt embarks on more sleuthing as Radio Four's very own gumshoe, and this week. Beware of a big surprise as our detective heads into the woods on a bear hunt. It's another case for Punt P.I. This is Punt's private eye. I'm not here right now. Please leave a message. Listen here, Punt. It's Tracy. Need to get yourself to the Forest of Dean, scene of a most terrible slaying, not of man, but of beast. Two bears set upon in 1889 by a mob, but many questions remain. Word has it, the locals still don't like people snooping, but I want you to find out once and for all who killed the bears. What an intriguing assignment. An investigation concerning bears. Where should I start? There was only one place. Paddington. The starting point for a journey westwards from London. Dickcott Swindon and Gloucester, that's the one. Boarding on platform three. I was headed for Gloucester, changing at Swindon for darkest Peru. But this case didn't involve teddy bears and was certainly no picnic. On the train, I studied a briefing prepared for me by Tracy. It warned me not to waste time thinking of jokes about bears, as if I was a PI of very little brain. It then outlined the basic facts, in case my memory became a little fuzzy. In 1889, two performing bears were set upon halfway between the villages of Sinleford and Ruadine, in what, by all accounts, was a very nasty episode. The people of Ruadin had taken the blame, but they've always protested their innocence. Was this case a miscarriage of justice? It was my job to find out. I arrived in Gloucester, where I was to pick up a hire car. Right, and get on the trail without any more bear-related jokes. But then came... The big pause. Now I genuinely can't move. We're going to have to wait. That resulted from a van parking right in front of me, hemming me into my parking space. Come on. Were the locals trying to tell me something? Tracy had said they didn't like people snooping. (sighs) Would I have to hibernate in Gloucester until the van moved in spring? Thankfully, I didn't have to wait quite that long, and soon I was headed towards my destination. 
Forest of Dean. Having proved I could read a sign, I wanted to see where the unfortunate creatures met their fate. And I'd been told my first contact, a man by the name of Roy Palmer, could take me there. We're at Nail Bridge. He beckoned me to follow him to the scene of the crime, if I could bear it. On, on the road from Roy's there. a local historian, and on this piece of local history, he gave me the bare facts. Well, it was the 26th of April, 1889 to be precise, and there were four Frenchmen with two performing bears, and they did various shows in Cinderford, just a couple of miles behind us, and then carried on intending to go to several local villages, including Ruadine. Right. By the time they got here, a rumour had started to circulate that the bears had killed a child and mauled a woman in Cinderford. People reacted. A group of 40-odd men and youths came in pursuit and caught them up at this point right. and started roughing them up. The men's faces were black with coal dust and they had been drinking in a local pub since the end of their shift in the mine. The rumour that one of the bears had savaged a child inflaming the situation. And it gradually got more violent, more people assembled, so bears and men were under strong attack, stones and sticks and clubs, anything that came to hand. The trouble escalated, and by now the mob was getting bigger and angrier. Two of the Frenchmen ran away and were not seen anymore, as did one of the bears run away. But the two remaining Frenchmen and the bear came under heavy attack and the bear was felled by a massive hit to the head. The melee had ended in tragedy. One of the bears was dead, the other one ran away. And marksmen must have been sent after it because an enraged bear fleeing was clearly a hazard. And they shot that bear. Two bears were dead and Ruardine got the blame. But was it likely that the people of Ruardine were responsible, given that the bears and Frenchmen hadn't even reached there yet? They'd given three performances in the streets of Cinderford, where the men involved in the attack had been drinking. It seems to me the likelihood is that the attackers did indeed come out of Cinderford. Yes. And caught up with them at this point. Yes. And the poor old Ruardine people were still two miles down the line. Maybe this is why, although this tragedy was played out over a century ago, it's still rumoured to be a bad idea to walk into the pubs of Ruardine and pose the question, who killed the bears? On a Saturday night, in the Angel or the Malt Shovel, late on, to raise that question would not be a good idea. So, if I can pose the forbidden question, who did kill the bears? Well, it's not possible to say categorically, but it seems to me that someone needs to look out the newspaper accounts of the trial and the names of those who were found guilty. Yeah. If you found the names and cross-checked with various records, you might be able to provide a definitive answer. The challenge was on. Roy, thank you very much. been a pleasure. Find those names and maybe I'd be able to settle the question once and for all. But where to look? I'd had a tip-off that a local museum might be able to help. 
Yes, in the making here at Little Dean Jail. Little Dean Jail. The jail was completed in 1781, designed by the intriguingly named Sir George Onesiphorus Paul and doubled up as a house of correction, police station and courthouse. A kind of portcullis-style entrance and... Uh, oh, good Lord. It is, as you might expect, a rather forbidding place. This is where, in 1889, the trial took place of the men accused of killing the bears. Maybe they'd have some documentation relating to the case. The prison is now owned by Andy Jones, who it turns out also lives there. Oh, wow, look at this. Crime through time is the strapline of the museum. Crime having a fairly broad definition. Spider-Man there, Lara Croft, a Dalek. Well, Spider-Man fights crime. Lara Croft has multiple counts of aggravated tomb raiding and the Dalek probably exterminated without due care and attention. Then, in the middle of the museum... Oh, my goodness. That is extraordinary. I was face-to-face -face with a full-size, stuffed bear. This just gives an indication of what type of bear... Uh, this is the same walk. type of bear? Yeah, it was two Russian bears that were that were killed back on that awful day. And it's a, it's a subject matter that still burns very, very deeply with a lot of people in the area, some 124 years on. And again, a warning. If you go to one of the local pubs in Ruiding, the Malt Shovel, and you know you, you went up to anybody in the barn and asked who killed the bear, then um, I think you'd be very lucky to get out of the, the bar without having a slap. I hadn't realised investigating bears could be so dangerous. I checked my contract, but there was no bears clause. Andy, however, had got some material which looked like it could be extremely useful in my inquiries, if you could get through the Victorian verbosity. So this is from the Times, uh, under the headline, A Brutal Affray in Dean Forest. Um, the poor Frenchmen and their quadrupeds became at once subject to the action of a hostile, insensate, angry mob. The scores of young fellows and boys who had collected intimated their intention to dispatch the brutes. To this end, stakes were torn up, garden clothes, props, stones, brickbats and other weapons began to play upon the bear's shaggy coats. Um, in this way, a couple of miles were traversed, and at six o'clock it was estimated that a mob of 200 persons had collected. Unfortunately, no one seemed to have thought of the police until it was all over, and it was eight o'clock before PC White got to Ruadine. That's two hours after all this has been happening. Andy then produced another piece of evidence, a photo reputedly showing one of the bears in question. A rather extraordinary photo. Man just in the middle of a street, surrounded by people, a lot of children there, with an enormous bear, about a foot taller than he is, on a chain. The caption under the photo claimed it showed a bear under suspicion of killing a young girl. Oh, wow. Andy let me keep the photo, and then revealed the most important clue so far. This is a copy of the official entry. It was taken from the offences book of Drybrook Police Station back at that, that time. Yeah. That much sought after list of names appeared at Little Dean Petty Sessions before RJ Kurt Squire. So, George Wilkes, uh, they're all described as good character. 
uh, find one pounds to twenty pound damage, or find five pounds, or one Sindri, find one pounds. Robert Wilkes, find five pounds, or ten shillings, or seven days. Henry Baldwin, Joseph Hopkins, discharge. Thomas Meek, five pounds or one. Very useful, but it didn't mention where any of these men were from, and the charge sheet contained another curiosity. The men, all working-class miners, had been fined what was then a lot of money, but the fines were paid immediately on the same day. The question was, by who? To this day, and as far as I'm aware, that name has never been revealed. A mysterious benefactor. I mean, we know this money was paid on the day. Yes. Right. But、um, we don't know where it came from. No, and it, and it would have had to, to have come from a very rich, local. Local person. Were they all represented by one lawyer? Yeah, they were represented by a barrister, but I believe the barrister was actually a London barrister. So one would ask, well, how did they afford to also employ a barrister? Difficult to get to the bottom of it, really. Yeah, yeah. With their London barrister and unknown financial backer, there were ever more mysteries emerging. As I drove away from Little Dean Jail, another question occurred to me: that of motive. What on earth lay behind such a brutal assault? Could there be any truth in the rumours that the bears had killed a child? I needed an expert witness. Oh, hi. Is that、uh, is that Douglas? It is. Douglas Richardson is animal collection manager at the Highland Wildlife Park in Scotland. I briefed him on the case. Involved some bears、um, mm -hmm. in the Forest of Dean in 1889. I'm assuming we all realise that the Forest of Dean is not exactly well known as a habitat for bears. No, these were these were、uh, travelling bears. They were with some French、uh, ah, show people. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. I emailed over the photo Andy had given me for Douglas to evaluate. This is a photograph from the time.、Oh, okay. And、uh, there's a there's a group of children standing around looking at this bear. It's clearly in a town. Right, it's just come through. It's just come through. Okay.、Um, European brown bear,、uh, probably. I mean,、uh, short coat layer here. But, yeah, certainly Southern Europe in origin. Right. So that's not a Russian bear.、Uh, it almost definitely is not a Russian bear. They'd be a lot bigger. Oh, they'd be bigger. Oh yeah. Right. The, the legs of the bear look astonishingly human to me. Do, do, is that what bears look like when they stand up? Basically, yeah. I mean, they'll do it when they're curious, or if they hear something unusual, and they'll they'll stand up on their hind legs just to get a better look. The problem with with dancing bears or street bears like this one, they're made to do it way more than they should. How, how dangerous are they? I mean, he's standing there surrounded、Incredibly、by kids. Incredibly dangerous. Right. I mean, you look at the bear's、um, left hand. Uh, foreleg with a paw up its face, and you see the length of the claws,、mm. the size of the bear. One swipe could kill a child、right. without any problem whatsoever. It doesn't need to use its teeth. I mean, bears are incredibly powerful creatures. So I'm, I mean, I'm just looking at the、uh, caption below: a bear under suspicion of killing a young girl.、Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally feasible.、Mm. Feasible, certainly, but no local children were reported missing, and I hadn't yet found any evidence that the claim was anything more than pub rumour. And I still needed to get to the bottom of who had carried out the attack. I had a list of names, but no idea where the men were from. It was time to pay a visit to Rudine.
So here we are. This is the Malt Shovel Inn. This was the place where I'd been warned again and again not to ask who killed the bears. Which, given that my assignment was to find out who killed the bears, meant I entered the pub with some trepidation. Would I, as Andy had prophesied, be given a slap? You lad, want a drink? In fact, I was given a pint and a thoroughly warm welcome by a group of regulars. This, this is where the bear was shot, about there, in the road. As a small boy, Melv Thompson's dad saw one of the ill-fated bears. Melv showed me the location on a map. And it, that's when my father saw it the next morning. He didn't see it the day it was shot. But it was dragged down there and buried just inside that field there. The sad part about it was Roarine Village had the had the name for killing the bears, but it was people outside of Roardine, which was uh, uh, from Cinderford and, yeah, uh, and Steamills yeah. and that area, which actually killed the bears. But Roardine had the name for doing it, which um, they always resented this a bit. Do you think there's still a, a sense of injustice? A deep feeling of injustice, because it, it, there was a, an injustice. You know, the, the blame fell on the men and people of Roardine when it wasn't them. I wondered if the locals who call themselves foresters could identify any of the men on my list. I think I can remember the last of them being buried in Roardine Church, one of those. I can remember him being buried. How long ago, I couldn't say, but, I, but they said when the funeral was, that's, that's the last of the bear killers got. Oh, so really? that would have been about, I suppose, 40 years ago. Can you remember which one of them? No, I don't. Are there any descendants of any of these people still still around? The people which are related to them, they don't uh, normally advertise the fact that they were related, and any any secrets they have concerning it, they keep that the facts very close to their chest. But I, I couldn't tell you more than that. Sorry, we can't give you much any any more about it, but... Uh... Well, that's, that's plenty, plenty. So it appeared that at the very most only one of the men charged with the killing of the bears was a Ruardine man. But was that true? I needed to be dead certain. Oh, so here we are. Church of St John the Baptist Ruardine. And nowhere is death more certain than in a cemetery, where I could cross-reference the names on the charge sheet with the names on the headstones. So the list of people who were charged... Uh, with these offences. I'm looking for Wilkes, Hopkins, Baldwin, Golden, another Smith, Vaughan. No, he's not on the list. Parsons. Phineas Parsons. Knight, his name Knight on the list. Molson. A great name. Stanley uh, Davis. Hale. Another Hale. Ralph Marshall. There's no Hales on the list. I went all round the graveyard but I didn't dig anything There's up. a couple of surnames that match, but none of the same people. Roland Hyatt, not on the list. Fisher, Parsons, no. Weaver, no. I'd mounted a fairly exhaustive search, and I hadn't found anything. Was the bear's trail going cold? Or too hot? Or was it just right? I needed to find out. Hello? Hello, is that Andrew? Yes. Andrew Gardner used to be verger at Ruardine and has studied the church archives. He, quite literally, knows where the bodies are buried. So, how many of the charged men are in the churchyard? There, there's one young chap there, and whether he came and lived in the village later on, but there's only one 
when you look through the records, you'll only find one grave, and that, even that is very, very isolated. Very, very few people wouldn't even know it's there. Very, very occasionally you see uh, some flowers on there. So there must be a relative somewhere. So t- to your knowledge, and, and you've seen the, the records of Rodin Churchyard, there is only one of these people buried in yeah, Rodin. Yeah, I will list most of the old um, tombs in Malaviu. Does this suggest then, I mean, that the people on the charge sheets, the people who were convicted of this offence, they weren't Rodin people? No, 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 definitely not. Is the assumption that it must have been people primarily from Sindford? Primarily from that area, that's the assumption. Uh, do you think that's a reasonable assumption? Yes, I do, yes. That seemed fairly convincing for now. Thank you. No uh, problem. What I was still less certain of was the motive. The belief that the bears had killed a local child seems to have been entirely invented. But why? Were performing bears such a terrifying and unsettling sight? The shaggy-coated quadrupeds and their four French owners had been making their way through the area, performing in many different places. Just how unusual would it have been? This is such an old-fashioned show. I, when I first heard about it, I couldn't quite... I actually thought the dates were wrong. I thought this is, just doesn't fit at all. Professor Vanessa Tullman is Research Director of the National Fairground Archive. She told me that the itinerant Gallic showmen and their ursine troopers were all rather old hat. For example, in 1889, there was a parachuting donkey on the stages in London, you know? Yeah. You, you had really quite bizarre shows happening because animals had been so long part of entertainment culture that people wanted them to see something slightly different than just look at them and do a bit of trick. It'd be like having, you know, a couple of jugglers into your area after you'd had Cirque du Soleil. That bad, eh? It seems that in the 1890s version of Gloucestershire's Got Talent, parachuting donkeys would get the vote, dancing bears, it's a no from me. You'd think a group of Frenchmen would know the meaning of passé. The bear was part of a, a menagerie tradition. They had bear pits in most major places. So bears were actually part of a medieval tradition of pastime and sports. Yes, well, I mean, what, what would one have seen if you'd seen one of these shows? Because they performed in the streets, didn't yes, they? Yes, and... yeah. They actually had bears on bicycles. Uh, they would also have them dress them up in women's costumes. And the earliest bear story is when they would shave a bear and they would call it a pig-faced lady, and that was in the early 19th century. Ah, the days of good, wholesome family entertainment. So, if even a bear on a bike, in a frock, wasn't a novelty, what about their owners? I think what would have been more exotic to the people in the Forest of Dean was the fact they were French, not the fact they had bears. The fact that they were travelling on their own and doing village shows in the United Kingdom was unusual. That was unusual. Absolutely. Right. That that was not a case. I mean, it would be unusual to have a Scottish showman go to the Forest of Dean in 1890 on his own, never mind somebody from France. Right. Very strange. Very, very odd. People, a bit like the Hartlepool story, isn't it, when they hung a monkey thinking it was a French spy? So, did the attack stem from a straightforward time-honoured suspicion of foreigners, especially those Frenchies. Was French bears eating our children the Victorian version of East Europeans eating our swans, a mythical incident that a friend of a friend once heard from a man in a pub? There was no way of knowing for sure, but in the meantime, something else had cropped up. 
a surprise new act was about to take the stage. Right, so let's start with George Wilkes. I decided to have a look at the census for 1891. And he, uh, street address, Rodin Hill. Wow. <laughs> Next one. Uh, let's try... Henry uh -huh. Baldwin. 30-year-old, yep, yep, 30-year-old Henry Baldwin, coal miner. So, Rudin. these guys all know... It was them. rather surprising, and not as clear-cut as I'd imagined. That's Ooh. him. Rudin. He's interesting. He's again, Rudin. Rudin Hill. Quite Eastine. a turn-up for the books. Civil Parish, Eastdean Town, Rudin. Of the 13 men charged, seven were either born or lived in Rudin or Rudin Hill. Over half the men on the charge sheet were from the area after all. It seemed Rudine might not be quite as innocent as they've always maintained. And another thing was still bothering me. The question mark over who had paid the men's fines on the very day they were convicted. I decided to show the charge sheet to Dr Judith Rowbottom, an expert in legal history from Nottingham Trent University. She wasn't surprised that the men might have had powerful backers following the proceedings in the courtroom. There must have been people in there, possibly employers, probably at least one non-conformist minister would have been there, possibly a local doctor, people of standing within the community, mm. because all of them are down there as having good character. Mm. And... For the Victorians, that was serious. You don't just put that down lightly. You have to prove good character in court. Yes. Somebody has to come forward as a character witness, and it's not just your mates. So what were men of good character doing on the charge sheet for an offence so clearly out of character? Judith had a theory which would throw the whole case into question. The police were based at Drybrook, which is much nearer to Ruadine than it is to Cinderford. They're not going to know the Cinderford people, but they are going to know the Ruardine people. The reality, the blunt reality, is that the police are going to find it a great deal easier to identify the men who live on their doorstep than they are from several miles away down the road in Cinderford. Yes. So there may well have been people who were far more seriously involved, who were from Cinderford, the police will not necessarily have been able to identify them. And if you're going to bring a prosecution, you bring a prosecution against the person you know. And that does not change over time. So how likely is it, do you think, that, that this list represents uh, an accurate picture of the people who, who were really responsible? Oh, I think it's highly unlikely, because we know there were so many more people involved the reason that you've got those men identified is because people knew who they were. Yes. Not because they were necessarily the ringleaders. They were convenient. You couldn't let an incident like this go. It could have been buried if it hadn't hit the press. It did hit the press. So you have to deal with it. You have to make arrests. It was a compelling theory that the men charged with the assault were scapegoats. But it made sense. Out of a crowd of 200 people, how easy would it have been for the police to identify the main culprits when they arrived hours after the affray was over, especially if the miners' faces were black with coal dust? 
When the case received national attention, it was very bad PR for the good name of the area. Justice had to be seen to be done. Fines needed to be meted out, and promptly paid off. Perhaps because the defendants were taking the rap for everyone, it seems very possible that this was indeed a miscarriage of justice, and that's why the people of Ruadine have protested their innocence ever since. And why, if you go down to the forest today, I would still think twice before asking. Who killed the bears? Punt PI was produced by Lawrence Grizzell. The news is next, and then Sue Cameron of the Daily Telegraph will be looking behind the scenes as MPs return to Westminster after the summer recess. And at the top of the agenda, as you might expect, is Syria and the fallout from the government's defeat in the vote over whether Britain should prepare to go to war. That's in the week in Westminster here on BBC Radio Four in a couple of minutes. But first, let's get some news of special drama for the week ahead. I need a competent, caring woman inspector on my team <laughs> to fill your quota. I didn't say that. A police detective serial recorded on location in India. Inspector Khan, Bandra Police. I need you to come with me. What for? I think you'd prefer it if I told you that in private. Undercover Mumbai. Did you think bringing in the biggest film star in India would be good public relations? So what does crime have to do with public relations? Everything. This Monday to Friday at 10:45 in the morning and 7:45 in the evening on BBC Radio 4.